Welcome to the discussion, Government Modernization Unleashed, sponsored by EY. Here's today's moderator, Jason Miller. My guest today is Andy Ho, the Senior Manager for Data and Analytics at EY. Andy, thanks so much for taking the time. Well, thank you for inviting me. Let me set just a little bit of context for our discussion today. The Federal Aviation Administration handles about 45,000 flights a day, and that number is only increasing. The FAA predicts a 4.7% increase annually in demand for passenger flights over the next two decades. Now, this data doesn't include things like drones and other unpiloted vehicles. This is why the FAA must apply new and emerging technologies to understand and make this data more valuable. They've got a good head start already. In 2008, the FAA and the aviation industry developed the Aviation Safety Information Analysis and Sharing Program, ASIAS, as it's commonly known for those of us in the know, has drawn together a wide variety of safety data and information sources from across government industry, including a voluntarily provided safety data. But as this data continues to grow, how can the FAA partner and its partners improve how they bring together data to drive decisions, specifically on safety and to mitigate other emerging risks? So Andy, let me start right there. A lot of going on in the aviation. We're all excited about drones and other unmanned vehicles. Uh, talk a little bit about that about aviation safety. What does emerging risks look like today for them? Yeah, I mean, great, great question, Jason. I mean, I, I would first preface by saying that it's very, very safe flying, right? Um, a lot goes into the national airspace system. A lot of wonderful people working both in the air and the ground. So ultimately, um, there's, there's just a lot of great things going on. That said, there are new entrants, as you mentioned in your, in your introduction, that's happening. Advanced mobility, air taxis, drones, and there's just going to be a lot more uh, that people need to account for. Therefore, you know, how do you as an agency or even a, as an organization continue to serve your core mission uh, while providing the avenues and leveraging machine learning, data, and analytics to really help accelerate some of the things that you're doing today? I always love when people complain about air travel. We're going to give credit to the FAA. I said, but no one complains. No one ever says to you, how was your flight? Oh, I landed safely, got up, got down, that was on time. That's right. People only complain about, well, I had to wait two hours or yeah. whatever. So we have to give the FAA some credit. I always like to do that. Uh, I, th I think what's interesting is when you talk about new entrants into it, air taxis, drones, and the like, what does that mean for the FAA from in, in terms of understanding, okay, what are those risks now? Yeah. Because, you know, we don't want, you know, two planes to crash. You also don't want a drone to crash into a plane or or, right, or, or other kind of uh, vehicles that are out there causing and wreaking, if you will, some havoc in the airways. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the uh, event of black swan happening of catastrophic accidents, very, very rare, right? Um, what you're seeing is now a lot of these new types of advancements in technology, they all generate data. They all create data of some sort, whether it's going to be audio data, right, video data, or just sensors in general. Um, for example, I think uh, there, there's been a lot of, of uh, talks about new UFO sightings here and there, right? <laughs> uh, makes for great conversation. But the reality is we now have sensors that are now capturing data at a much higher atmosphere level. Is it accurate? Not quite yet there. Therefore, there's just a lot of investment that needs to go into it to account for all the new things that are happening. We have people who like to shoot rockets into space, right? We have, as I mentioned, all the new entrants. So um, that in consideration, you really need to start thinking about how do you want to modernize your data, whether it's going to be through your people, your process, or the technology in itself. And what you described is not necessarily just an FAA problem. No. Really what you're describing is an everybody problem because if you talk about NOAA, the National Weather Service, you talk about agriculture department and what crops are doing, you, you hear a lot of those same discussions about what 
those sensors are saying, what they mean, how to understand the data. So this is really less about FAA, even though we've been spending a few minutes here on it, and a lot about data modernization. So why is that data modernization so important when we talk about all these increased risks? We we know, I guess, the why, but but how do you start to understand those those data pieces together. It's it's like um, it's like when we first unwrapped our iPhone, and all of a sudden we go, "What do we do with this?" And then a few years go by, and there's just so much more infinite potential, and people start to realize how they can, they can actually use it for their day to day. Same thing when it comes to an, or, an organization who wants to say, "I want to apply AI, AI today." Well, how do you do that? Right? You can't just buy a new toy and say, "Hey, I want to plug it in," and everyone in my organization uses it. There's a lot of infrastructure that goes into it. Um, the example I like to use is you know, something as simple as water. Right? Water is something that we here take a lot for granted. Like when we want it, it's there. But there's a lot of infrastructure that goes into it to prepare it, whether it's going to be for drinking, washing, gardening, or whatever. Same thing with data. There's may, many different purposes of it. Today, you can use data in general for hindsight. Right? And they call that business intelligence. Everyone's good at that, whether it's through Excel spreadsheet or a dashboard. But what's going to be more important is having foresight. And that foresight really means that you have to look at your data. Your training set needs to actually have a good picture of what could happen. Therefore, machine learning and AI can actually capitalize on it, use it, and then spit out some of the predictions for you. We've seen some stuff about predictions. For instance, the FAA talks about uh, airplane, not just safety, but also airplane uh, maintenance. We've seen the Air Force talk about predictive maintenance as well. Is that starting to kind of gain some steam of how to be better about predictive? Uh, And again, it's still early for a a lot of organizations. Yeah, great question. I mean, a lot of that for maintenance has downstream impacts on your supply chain, your logistics, right? Uh, Your manufacturing, right? A lot of things that go into a radar or to any type of planes or any other types of objects or, or products really means that you have to have the right supply chain in place. So if you can predict it out, what you can do is shorten your waiting period. So if there is a, 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 a radar that is mission critical and it has a piece that uh, typically takes, I don't know, three months to make, it would be good to order that and predict out that, hey, there's a lifespan of about four months for this type of equipment. Let's make sure we have things in stock. Right? So those are things that you can actually apply for predictive and preventative maintenance. Are you starting to see that? Because, again, collecting a lot of data. There's a lot of tools out there, but our agencies bringing that data together with that idea of, all right, what's the lifespan of this user widget? And yep. the, do we need a new widget yet? Or when do we order the new widget so it's there when this one does fail, even if it goes four months or five months beyond the life? Yeah. And that, that topic really on data fusion, right? Because you have a lot of organizations who, they have their own technology, their own applications, and it's used for their people. Their people enter in data, they collect, et cetera, but then what ends up happening is this group A might have data that's relevant to group B as well, and then C comes in and says, hey, well, we have this external data source that we find to be very, very insightful. Can we put it all together? And the difficulty is they weren't meant to go together, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? There, there is no commonality. And so as data scientists, data engineers, data architects, their primary role is to figure out how to basically fuse that data and then prepare and transform it so that machine can actually understand it. One of the things you talked about as well is, is the getting data ready. And I, we'll get to data readiness in a second, but yeah. maybe let me take a half a step back and talk a little bit about the, the reactive side of data, the business intelligence, looking at kind of hindsight. 
that's something that agencies have been doing a long time. Are they getting better at it because the, the business intelligence tools are better because they understand their data better? What, what, what are some of those trends? Yeah, I think when you when you think about like the different layers of data in itself, what you mentioned right there uh, is really the presentation layer, right? So, in the past, Excel spreadsheets. You create your macros, then you start to put the bar charts in there, and you go, here you go, right? And you cut and paste and put it on PowerPoint. Now, individuals are using dashboards, right? Uh, and those dashboards are dynamic, as well as they can be fed real-time data, or at least near real-time. That then removes the individual from having to curate that data and actually infusing what we call selection bias. Right? So there's a lot of benefits, but uh, to get to your, to your, your question, today in pre presentation layer, there's many ways that individuals can actually uh, manipulate and play with the data as well as visualize and then from there gain insights for them. Is a lot of that because you're using real-time or near real-time data, you're getting away from that hindsight and almost not, you're not quite, oh, I can make a decision right now about what's happening right now, but yeah. you're not, agencies are catching up, they're closing the gap, I guess. They are, they absolutely are. And, and the reality is like, I think uh, the last five years, 80% of our data has been created, yeah. right? So, and that's gonna continue to explode. So if you do not, um, as, a, as a team, as an organization, start to put into infrastructure, the platforms that actually manage the life cycle of data, um, it's gonna be very hard. Right. It's going to be very, very hard. And what, what ends up happening is what we're seeing is companies uh, want to do the right thing when it comes to data analytics, but they don't have the skill set quite yet, right? the individuals, the people. And there, there's, there's, a, there's a, a shortage in talent in, in general just because there's so much data out there. That's good news for you sometimes, huh? That's great news for That's me. Great news. Yeah. That's great news. Yeah. Let's not lose sight of it. It's still good news for you. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about data readiness because that's what you're kind of getting to. Because there's, again, you have data fusion you mentioned, which is bringing data from multiple sources together, finding the commonalities. But, you know, if, just going back to our aviation example, if you say a plane is, you know, two wings, two engines, and I say a plane has a propeller in the front, we're, we're both right, but we're both also messing the data up. Right. So let's start with data taxonomies and understanding what the data means as far as data readiness. What's what's the kind of the first step down that path? Yeah, it's it's like that classic example of the elephant, right? We we all are blindfolded and we're touching the same animal, but we are describing it differently. And that's happening quite a bit, right? And and so data readiness really is trying to figure out how do you remove the blinders and turn on lights for everyone involved, regardless of what the responsibilities, right? And and in this case, right, any type of agency we'll have a lot of federated model, right? So you're doing this, I'm doing this, and everyone else is doing something different. But how do we make sure we still stay in contact? And so part of data readiness is not just, you know, how do I make sure I, I capture this accurate data and how do I transform this from, let's say, qualitative to quantitative, but it's really your individuals, your people. Like how do they gain confidence and trust that, hey, this data is actually accurate. It can be used to predict because if you don't, have faith in your current data set, how can you have faith in your predictions? A lot of that trust comes from understanding not just the data you have and where it's coming from, but it's also creating the relationships. Okay, I know you, you collect data, I collect data, we're working together to achieve an end goal, whatever that end goal is. But it's also the data itself, how clean is it? And, yeah. and I think a lot of times what I've heard over the years is agencies or organizations, really anybody, gets too hung up on, well, my data's not quite ready, it's not quite yeah. ready, it's not quite ready. That change, that understanding that you, your data doesn't have to be perfect, right? The old, don't let perfect be the enemy of good. Right. That seems to be much more acceptable these days. I completely agree. Uh, I think you, you have to just start, 
right? Um, you have to start and realize that, yes, from the beginning, it's not going to be perfect and it may never be perfect, right? I think recently I was hearing, um, you know, a habit doesn't ever end. You just continue forever or else when you stop it, it's no longer a habit, right? In this case, when it comes to data readiness, it's the same thing. You have to make sure you continue to put in the right data management principles, the right data strategy in place, and then from there, really align how your data will accelerate your business goals. Right? And I think most people really focus on the technology or just the buzzwords of oh, we're using AI today. But the truth is, like, there's a lot that goes into it that is not the coolest thing to do, but it's the most important thing to do. I think one thing we've seen over the last, again, four or five years in the federal space is that data strategy. More agencies have chief data officers, and those chief data officers open door to data strategies. Is that the biggest difference you've seen in the last, again, four, five, six years, that not just, oh, oh, look, we have somebody in charge, but actually that person who's in charge is really pushing forward this approach to data readiness? Yeah, um, yes, absolutely. Yes. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a, what else can you say? Yes, it's, it's a good thing. Uh, I can expound on it, but the, the truth is, like, leadership matters, right? right? And expertise matters. And um, when you have individuals who come from a background, they have the regular experience, then you have like this confidence in terms of, if we need to acquire this, we need to make sure we have this set up. CDO comes in and understands like as an organization, as an as a individual who specializes in data, these are the things that we need to invest in. And if we do this in the next three years, this will be the outcome. Andy, we're going to take a quick break. We come back, we'll continue our conversation. You're listening to the discussion, Government Modernization Unleashed Data and AI, sponsored by EY on Federal News Network. Government agencies face pressure to modernize programs and optimize operations. With EY, you can unleash the power of progress and move from strategy to execution. We are at the forefront of shaping how the government responds to complex challenges, providing technology-enabled solutions to help you transform at the federal, state, and local levels. Together, we are building a stronger country for the people. Learn more at ey.com govmod. Welcome back. You're listening to the discussion, Government Modernization Unleashed, Data and AI, sponsored by EUI on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Andy Ho, the Senior Manager for Data and Analytics at EY. Andy, before break, we're talking about data readiness. And part of that data readiness is you, you brought up this idea of leadership is important. We talked about CDOs and data strategies. But there's really some concerns or some challenges that these senior leaders have. What are some of those considerations they need to keep front of mind? Yeah, um... I think this really, and thanks for the question, it really comes back to being a leader as a, as a business leader in general, right? It doesn't have to be on data or, or analytics. There is an obligation as leaders to make sure that uh, you are continually investing into your, your own workforce, your own team, um, and you have really passionate people who are already bought into the culture, right? So that said, you know, as we get into this data modernization, data readiness, and of course paving the way for AI and ML future, what do you have to consider as a leader uh, to, to really make sure that you're not leaving your team behind? The challenge sometimes, though, is the, this is moving so quickly. Yeah. That how do you keep up? And, and I think that's incumbent on the leader, it's incumbent on the team, it's incumbent on the organization to really promote this idea of learning, continuous learning about data science. Agencies struggle with training, and we've known that for years. Are you starting to see, as you talk to government customers, then kind of understanding, oh, we need to have that continuous learning effort to make sure that you as the data expert are 
sharing that knowledge with non-data experts, yeah. for lack of a better word? Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm seeing a, a lot of push for leaders are now uh, focused on empowering their people, right? So whether it's acquiring a tool or bringing in consultants like myself to not only help them solution, right, strategize, uh, they love ideating, uh, but more so also building, right? And then going along the way, as we built this, you really got to think about life without a consultant, right? <laughs> and I know that's shooting myself in the foot, right? But if I'm doing my job right, I'm on to your next phase of maturity, right? In this case, I'm do, I do see leaders starting to gravitate towards, we understand that data and analytics is going to be a common language and a common skill that's required in the next generation of workforce as well as today's. How do we make sure we put in programs as well as these activities and investments that they felt like, feel like they're actually being invested into? The tools discussion, I think, is the easier one, right? Everyone wants a new tool, shiny object. Yeah. We've heard that before. What's the discussion? What, what kind of, without getting into specific tool sets, are agencies looking for specific, well, we'd like to get tools that do X or yeah. tools that do Y, or are they just, they're, they're not, there's so much out there that they just need help understanding what is the art of the possible? Yeah, great question. It's both, right? Mm -hmm. there, there is so much out there. Uh, and there, there are so many good tools, but you know, I always use the analogy that you all now have ingredients. I grew up in the kitchen, right? And so I get really hungry all the time. Uh, but the reality is we all have the right ingredients, right? But the difference is a chef who understands his clients. This is where a business leader comes in. They have to understand who their clients are. And then from there I go, all right, we have X amount of people in the kitchen, which is our people, right? Our employees, our workforce. We have all these tools as well as technology that we can actually acquire. And then we can train them to use them. Now, what comes out of that kitchen is what should be consumed. And that's where leaders start to really be important, right? They have to go, why are we doing this? Asking more questions and listening versus instructing. I think you, you use the kitchen analogy very well. And in the end, what we're really talking about is what's the customer need? Yeah. Who are the customers? Understanding that, understanding what the customers want from that data and what, what decisions are they trying to make based on that data. And sometimes the customers are air traffic controllers, sometimes they're airlines, and sometimes they're you and I, do I want to fly on Christmas Day or right. not on Christmas Day because the data tells me that's the worst day to fly or the best day to fly. Uh, is that, are those parts of the discussion of who that customer is and how do we serve the customer better? Yeah. And then for but the FAA, the challenge with a lot of agencies is the same. Everyone's my customer, so yeah. how do I define that? Yeah, it, that, that's, that is a very challenging question to yeah. answer because you think about user personas and you start to understand this client needs that, right? And therefore we need to build this, right? You start to do all this mapping and then you realize, wow, we don't have the time, we don't have the budget, and we don't have the people. So what can we do? Um, the, the FAA has many customers. They have a lot of individuals who, and organizations as well as companies that depend on their services, which makes it even more important that the investments continue to focus on how do we build the right path for our clients to interact with our organization? That path is sometimes opened up to by the employees themselves. So maybe we should talk about the employee side. You mentioned leadership has to do, leaders have to do a lot of listening, a lot of asking, not just instructing. And that also must empower the people to, to give feedback, to ask the right questions, know what questions to ask. Where's the workforce fit in this? We know it plays a big role, but yeah. where, what are you seeing in terms of the workforce growing into this data science? Yeah, so when you think about just when, when we've gone through many different uh, industrial revolutions, right? Every time there's a, a revolution, there is going to be new jobs created as well as old jobs replaced. In every IR, there's always going to be more jobs being created, right? But the fact is people need to evolve. So for the topic of like data strategy and data management, 
there is now new roles like a data strategist, a data architect, um, a data engineer, right, a data modeler, and then of course data scientist. Most people focus on data science, uh, which I am a data scientist myself and I love it, but the reality is all that precedes data science is everything else I just mentioned. Those individuals who are really maintaining, managing, and preparing the data for our data scientists to use. So leaders today need to start thinking, we don't have those roles in our team right now. Where are we gonna fill those? And how can we then put programs to empower people to learn? Thankfully, you know, there are many functional aspects of data management like data governance. I know that people don't think that's the coolest word out there, uh, but you need people who are data stewards, data custodians who say, hey, all this data is coming in, these values are not matching up, let me actually fix it and let me approve it. Therefore, this data is now cleansed, right? Uh, so a lot, a lot that goes into it, and I think leaders today are starting to realize, wow, we can't just have someone do it as a cloud of duty. We actually need to have full-time employees doing this. And I think that's why the chief data officer emerged and really, have really, I think, emerged more quickly than, for instance, the chief information officer. It really took 15, 20, unfortunately, probably a little bit more for the CIO really to gain that foothold. Uh, here we go, ready, seat at the table. I right. think CDOs have gotten a seat at the table much more quickly because I think there's an understanding across government, across all organizations about the importance and the power of data. Are you starting to see that trickle down that the, the frontline employees understand the power of data or is that still? No, I think they're seeing yeah. it. Yeah, absolutely. I think if anything else, there's frustration, right? <laughs> because you, uh, you get, you know, petabytes of data, and first where you go, how do I even sift through that? Right, it's not an Excel spreadsheet with just a few thousand rows, it's millions and millions of records. And so what they're saying is, I, I, I can't do this alone, right? I do need technology, but I also need consultants. I also need experts who can come along and help. And I, I'm seeing there, there is a overarching like excitement versus before frustration, right? Because everyone's on a timeline. Yeah. And when your leader says, we need to have report done in the next few minutes, uh, where can you get the data from? And you're going, I don't even know where to begin. Um, this is where you start to see the business value of data investments. I also think the other piece that we're, we're benefiting from from a, from a society perspective is data in our lives. Yeah. You know that, oh, my house temperature is X on this part of the day. I can turn it Scary. up. Scary. All, right, all that data, you know, people with advanced refrigerators, it tells you, oh, you're out of milk almost, right? Like, yeah. I don't have one of those, by the way. But but people who do probably love it or they feel scared by it. Yeah. Or Alexa or or all the kind of home assistants now. Right. Uh, I think that also is, is showing people the power of data and, and stopping them from being so fearful. I agree. Uh, I remember I was speaking to a, a chief innovative officer, and I asked him, hey, what's, what, is, what is your biggest challenge to innovation? And no surprise, he said, people. And I said, can you elaborate some more? And he said, well, if we ever want individuals to accept AI in their normal life, then what we need to do is start to introduce different types of interventions. So you mentioned smart refrigerator, right? You have your Hey Siri or, or Google Assistant. You're introducing actually new types of interventions that AI is, is, is infused, eventually you get used to it. It's just part of your life. If anything, my kids are definitely used to it. <laughs> they don't ask dad for anything. They just say, hey, Google, right? right. Uh, so that said, like over time, you start to have individuals, whether it's going to be personal or professional, start to realize, oh, I can actually augment what I do with AI. 
and I can trust in it because I have been using it for many, many years. So as a business leader, how do you start to introduce those interventions so that your employees and yourself can have trust in AI responsibly? And I think when you talk about AI and ML and, and other emerging analytics, trust is so important. You gotta trust totally. the data, you gotta trust the technology, you gotta trust each other. Yeah. Which is a good segue to this idea of sustainment, right? You know, I built something, you can't just build it and walk away anymore. 20 years ago on a technology, you could put on the mainframe or client server and call it a day. Yeah. There's a, this constant updating and a constant right. making and improving. What, what kind of conversations are you having with, with government about that idea of sustainment? Do they, are they, again, is this a new concept? Um, I would say it's not a new concept, but the actual method to do that is definitely new, right? I think in general today for any government agency, um, you have to be able to explain. You have to explain your machine learning and your AI algorithms. So therefore, you can't just deploy a black box, right? It has to be explainable. Therefore, when you want to sustain it and you actually deploy it out into your, your production environment or it's used by your individuals as a typical business process, you have to be able to go, hmm, looking back, if we want to audit this, right? If we get uh, inspected, can we actually uh, provide the right reasoning as well as the case on this data came from here? It was managed and manipulated this way. It was transported and it was used in this ML algorithm and then it was deployed through this type of technology. Can you do that? Yeah. That's the first half. You've got to put it on a blockchain. <laughs> well, there you go. You're waiting for me to say yeah, that. Yeah, absolutely. Then it won't ever be changed. Then it will never be changed. So it's on the blockchain. <laughs> and then the second half is sustainment then, right? right? One is how do you actually explain your liability, right? And the second one is, all right, we are now adding this into our business process. Just like when you turn on your phone, it's updating, self-updating. You have people in the background making sure that all the functionalities, when you press the button, it actually works. How do you do that continually? And of course, you gotta still upgrade. And then the last piece that most people don't ever think about, except for security experts, it's security. <laughs> How do you secure all that while you still wanna innovate? I think the security piece people are getting more uh, okay with. I mean, if you, th if you think about the multi-factor authentication, sure. get the code to, to put in that only comes to your email, I think that's getting easier. Uh, though I think that the challenge is staying ahead of the, the bad actors, which I know we could probably spend the entire time on. Um, Andy, we only got about a minute left, so wow. we won't ask about security. Okay. Agencies are still are on this journey, and they've been on this journey for quite a while. What are some of those things you're saying, hey, here's no matter where you're at the journey, here's the considerations to have to really move this ball forward, and or what are the big potholes you're still seeing people step in? Yeah. Um, great question. I, I think... In the end, a leader needs to be able to plan short-term and long-term, right? I know that we're all under pressure to make sure that we fulfill our today's mission as well as our, our business plan activities. But truly, if you ask the question, in five years, I'm not here in this role anymore, am I leaving this place at a better state? So one thing to think about as you deploy data analytics and different types of solution is, are you putting all your eggs in one basket, right? Are you depending too much on one type of tool, right? Is that tool a one that everyone knows how to use or is it special trained, right? So a lot of it is coming back to being sustained, scaled, and making sure that you can find people in the future to continue to work on it. So there's a lot of different uh, things to think through, but I would say those are the top three that comes to mind, making sure that you build for the future while still maintaining your current present goals. Right. Excellent advice. Unfortunately, we're out of time for today. Oh, man. So let me thank my guest. Andy Ho is the Senior Manager for Data and Analytics at EY. Andy, thanks so much for taking the time. Thank you, Jason. 
I'm Jason Miller, and you've been listening to the discussion Government Modernization Unleashed, Data and AI, sponsored by EY on Federal News Network. For more on this discussion, visit federalnewsnetwork.com and search EY. Thank you for listening to the discussion Government Modernization Unleashed, sponsored by EY on Federal News Network.